Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by CFM. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Omri Steyer, founder of Lagoon, the alternative data investment platform. With Lagoon now reaching the end of its story in its current form, Omri and I talk through the life cycle of the company, from founding and growth through to the moment it became clear the firm could not continue. If you have a data set that might be of interest for the podcast, please get in touch. So in this episode, I'm joined by Omri Steyer uh, of Lagoon. Um, Omri, thank you very much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I say of Lagoon, um, and because Lagoon is what you will be known for, um, this conversation is an unusual one um, for the podcast because it's it's I I see it as being a kind of um, a full life story of a company in a way, because um, Omri, you are the founder of Lagoon and um, we are now here in, in early mid-December um, and we're in a position where Lagoon is, is looking like it's, it's uh, reaching the end of its story as, as a, as it, in its current form. Um, and so it's really an opportunity to talk through to an extent um, the life cycle of a, of a, of a company um, and, a, and an alternative data related company. So, um, so that's uh, very interesting for me. Um, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to looking forward to getting going. Definitely same here. And uh, I think there's, you know, I'm coming from the Air Force, so there's a lot of insights and lessons that could be learned from uh, this life story that, you know, happy to share uh, with everyone uh, who's listening. And I think they could really benefit uh, from it for anyone who's actually wanting to get to start working in the alternative data space. Fantastic. So Lagoon starts in March 2020, but you've given us a good a good um, intro by say by mentioning the Air Force, where you you spent a lot of time. You were eight years, ten months with the Israeli Air Force, which is which is um, is actually quite common in Israel in a way, isn't it? Everyone 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 spends some time in the armed forces, maybe not that long, um, but so perhaps. If you could just introduce as much as you can your time in the Air Force with a specific um, eye on how it was relevant in in your in your civilian life that's followed, you know what what the kind of lessons you learned which um, have have been have been useful with with the setting up and, and continuation of, of Lagoon. Definitely happy to. Uh, I think, by the way, uh, don't ever believe all the data that is available online. Uh, I was actually twelve years in the Air Force. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> yeah, a long time. Uh, f- yeah, you know, flying jets and started uh, really from the beginning as a you know, eighteen-year-old. Uh, you come into the Air Force, you really don't know what you sign up for, uh, and it's a life-changing uh, event uh, that you just decide, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, you only realize that after you know, fifteen years later that this decision was um, an amazing one. Um, first of all, you learn so much about how to work as a team, as a, um, as a unit, how to focus on a goal and move together, um, command, plan, strategize, and then execute, because you have to do all those things. You don't have a lot of people in the Israeli uh, army and Air Force specifically, uh, compared to the US, for example. Uh, that for uh, you know a young officer like I was, you know, 22, 23, you're in charge of um, such complex uh, execution of operations, of, uh, of the planning of them, uh, that you learn a lot. And part of this process, and I think this is you know, kind of why we're talking right now, is you have to use a lot of data in your analysis. You have to work and plan based on lessons that have been learned in the last you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We actually hear, you know, uh, combat stories from 40, 50 years ago. Actually, the guys who have been in my squadron came to lecture us on that. Uh, and there's lessons learned that were relevant 50 years ago that are relevant right now as well. Uh, Do you think, because obviously the Israeli armed forces, as you say, they don't, they're not as big in terms of numbers. And they've always had to kind of fight smart um, and also, to an extent, fight rich. 
Um, and so there is a um, there's a there's definitely a technological edge. There's there's fighting smart with with things like Mossad, but then there's then there's that technological edge um, of um, and so in a way the Israeli Air Force will have perhaps more access to the kind of the highest tech data factors and 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 you know i mean the the f-35s aren't they are essentially just big flying computers um with with just data pouring in every 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 direction so do you think there might be something about coming out of the israeli air force which um positions you well to go into data than compared to you know some of the other air forces in the world Uh, i mean clearly compared to some of the you know less developed air forces but even maybe compared to i don't know the european air forces definitely so um, as you know, a young officer, you have to do all the things yourself. You don't have a data team to find the data that is relevant for your planning and execution. You don't have the huge resources that everybody has. You have this uh, underdog mentality, I guess, that you have to do everything on your own. Um, so, for example, on the data side, one of the you know, data was always something interesting for me. I learned it uh, in my MBA and before that, um, and I just went to the intelligence forces. And I literally looked at data that was in uh, different languages uh, and thought, okay, how I can use that in my process in what I'm doing that it could be relevant for me. So it was from the query side of how do I get the data and how do I use it to actually getting a platform set up and ready for myself. Uh, And it's the underdog mentality. I literally went to the data analyst and told her, this is what I need to do. which was amazing. I think this is how you learn, how you do, and you have to be hands-on to really understand the data. I think it's relevant for any data provider, any data um, analyst. So it's a roll up your sleeves mentality, which um, exactly. which definitely helps when you're founding a founding a data company, um, oh. which you did. So you so you come out of um, you come out of the Air Force. How did how did you come to um, how did how did Lagoon come about? Um, so we. We went to a fintech course and went my MBA. Uh, we started big data, AI, I mean, the co-founder and uh, uh, my other co-founder and started talking about how the, where my pension and my parents' pension and everybody's uh, money is being run and, and they don't really know how to analyze the alternative data. So they have uh, this quarterly financial earnings uh, that are uh, set up once a quarter, but during the quarter, they have a very hard time tracking down what's going on with the company. And even so, you want to ask the right question. You want to understand what's the customer, what's the vibe, how's it going right now? Uh, and this is something we realize there's a huge uh, gap in the industry where the big guys, um, you know, Renaissance, Millennium, World Quant, uh, Two Sigma, many of the point seventy two, the guys who've been in your podcast, of course, know how to leverage this type of data. Uh, but most funds just don't have the capacity, the, uh, the data t- uh, science team. So you're talking about that. You're talking more about the long onlys. You're talking about the pension fund possibility. And at the moment, I in in my experience, a lot of them. Well, perhaps, and this was this was your thinking. A lot of them aren't even using, aren't even trying with alternative data at the moment. They just see it as the preserve of the of the big boys that you just mentioned, or the more sophisticated. And they're not big. They're 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 kind of they're I don't know the more sophisticated players um, that you just mentioned. So you were your your vision was potentially look these guys these pension funds should be using alternative data or, do, or, or, or or was it actually that you thought that they that they were trying and couldn't? Yeah, so I was thinking they should use it. And uh, we're looking at, you know, hedge funds and pension funds, retail investors even, need the ability to, to use this data in order to make smart decisions. Mm. Like if you just rely on what people tell you and you don't do the analysis on yourself, then you might make mistakes. Um, so I think, um, this is part of the reason we did it. And another thing that I thought was, you know, we can start collecting data, but it's also up to the data provider, uh, to show how it is used and how to create insights and value from this data. So we said, instead of collecting data, which there's so many people doing, let's focus on how you create insight and value from those different data sources. Mm. Interesting. Um, and so, and so, what did uh, what did you come up with? Um, yeah, so what I did at the beginning, I literally had no history and no knowledge of the capital markets. So started reading you know, tons of articles, papers, books, 
uh, ranging from Said Amin and the Alternative Data Book to Marcos uh, Lopez and, uh, you know, listening to uh, Alternative Data Podcast by Mark Fleming. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> joined LinkedIn groups and really started to dive in uh, and understood, you know, investors in the end, what they're looking for is the bottom line insights of what's useful for them. And you need to come up with a way to first show them and then explain how you got to this reason, how you got to this insights, how you uh, made value from that. Um, and this is kind of what we started to create and build the systems that allows um, the investor to really view the company with what I call the 360 degree view using alternative data, using financials, but actually knowing what's going on with the company, like the CEO of the company. Mm. Okay, so you, you, you start Lagoon in March 2020. Um, how, does it, how does it evolve? Uh, so at the peak of COVID, we started and we started talking to people, um, really reaching out to any contact uh, we could. Uh, we leveraged, uh, we were back then with Techstars. So leveraging the network of uh, Techstars, reaching out to hedge fund veterans, um, to analysts, to portfolio managers, to CIOs, anyone we can get our hands on and really learn what they actually need, how we can leverage that. Uh, since the beginning, we thought of, oh, let's create a marketplace for data. Uh, but we decided to change, pivot, and really focus on how do you create insights from the data. Uh, when, you were, when you were reaching out to people, did you have a geographical bias? I mean, a lot of this, lot of this world is in, is in the U.S. Were you, were, you, were you making calls to the U.S. quite a lot? Most of it is in the U.S. Luckily, it was uh, COVID. So everybody switched from uh, <laughs> meeting uh, face-to-face to speaking online. So everybody was really quite um, responsive. That's interesting. I'd never even, I'd never thought, but actually, I wonder, I wonder if looking back, there's a possibility that COVID could have been a great balancer in terms of if you were trying to create a company and reach those ears, then actually it, 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 it opened up the opportunity around the world. You didn't have to be, be able to meet people in person. Actually, you, if you had an idea in Vietnam, potentially, if you're willing to stay up all night, you could, <laughs> you could, you could launch it then. It's an interesting aspect. Definitely. And uh, everybody was much more receptive as well. Like before that, it was really hard to, I guess, schedule a call with hedge funds and uh, with data vendors. And everybody was really hard to get. Um, but once COVID hit, everybody had some free time. They didn't need to commute. They were sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were figuring out what to do with their lives. Uh, so they were much more receptive to speaking and, uh, and sharing their experience. Mm. How, did you, how did you begin to build your team? Um. That's a great question. So we started by figuring out what we need, how we can leverage that. And the first thing we understood is that we need... Who is we? Was it was it you and a co-founder? Yeah, me and the two co-founders that uh, we started the company. Um, and we, we realized at first that you know, we did not have um, the needed experience with alternative data. Were you, all, were you all ex-Israel uh, Air Force? No, no. They were not but- actually... Did you have did you have identities in terms of you were the guy who and the other two were the guy who you know did you have a founding kind of set of skills? Uh, yeah, so we had one uh, one of my co-founders, which uh, she was the CTO, and uh, she had. Sorry, the- I oh, regretted the minute I said it. The girl could be the girl who. Apologies. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, no, she's the CTO, and she she's amazing. Uh, she built uh, the infrastructure. She knows how to connect the data points, how to build the platform, and she did an amazing job at that. Um, and so, first of all, the technology, and the second one is uh, is a staff who's coming from the industry. So we had the kind of industry, we had the, uh, the technology, and uh, me coming in from uh, the Air Force, which has nothing to do with alternative data in a way. Um, but as we discussed in the beginning, it has quite a lot to you know to dive deep and understand the data and really make use of it. And and the leadership, which is useful. Um, uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, and so sorry, coming from industry, yeah, someone was coming from finance or from or yeah. from data. Yeah, from finance uh, in Israel. Okay, okay, lovely. So you had you had a nice blended opening starting team of three. Um, and so sorry, I disrupted you. You were, you were you were saying how you went about about building a team and identifying your your gaps. Right. So the main gap was how to use alternative data in finance, because I think it's still. It still is such a such a niche that not a lot of people in, in, in the world actually know how to leverage alternative data in an effective and efficient uh, way. Uh, so we just started reaching out to 
anyone we can. Um, guys from Renaissance, from Blue Mountain Capital, JP Morgan, Point72, uh, that started becoming both our advisors and investors as well. Um, and we leverage their knowledge and ideas. And just to say uh, one more thing is that we had one of our professors from the university uh, that taught us the FinTech course in alternative data, uh, Professor Shimon Kogan, who was with us since the beginning. He guided us and you know gave us such great advice. He teaches at Wharton, taught at MIT. Uh, so we had him by our side all the time and everybody else, uh, which was, you know, one of the main things I learned is that everybody is really open uh, to connect, to network, to help you out in this journey. Presumably, that's if they if they believe. Of Presumably, you were you they were seeing the same potential gap in the market that you you were seeing, and and so they were saying, um, you know, a they're investing, so they believe that much, but also mm-hmm. so they they want to be on the journey essentially. So so you were you were. And it was a presumably a feedback loop as well as the more that you were hearing from these people also the more you were convinced that you were on the right track so it was a kind of a um it was a it was a virtuous circle in that way exactly definitely okay. um and so when do you begin hiring so we started hiring actually only in 2021 uh we took us some time to get and gather the idea to start raising some capital uh from uh from some of our, from the investors, from uh, friends and family, and to really uh, start growing the company. So it was Did you, only... sorry, I, I keep interrupting, but I, I hopefully it's, hopefully I'm, we're, we're, we're following a thread. Um, but so raising money for the, from investors, um, which sounds like it was pre-hiring, so that's why I'm going back to it. Was that um, a process of, of going out and, or was it, was it, are we, are we talking a whole, a whole thing where you where you kind of do a roadshow, or was it more the the kind of conversations we were talking about where you were you were building these relationships and then getting kind of ad hoc money from people who believed in the project? Yeah, so I guess it was both. Uh, when you start a company, a startup, um, you really have to do everything. So was speaking to investors and roadshows, and you know speaking to hundreds of investors in 2022 and 2021, uh, literally hundreds of conversations. Uh, to really gather some believers and uh, people who both believed in us and they believed in our idea and our uh, passion. Um, so you have to do both. You have to gather the people who advise you and some of them invested. And you have to gather the investors who believe in you and the team and uh, and the vision. Well, you would, was there was there a desire to get kind of a cornerstone investor on? You know, when you have people like you know, and Crux is a very different story because Crux obviously began with um, a it, it began with a huge kind of um, PR drive, and and you know it began almost on on level six out of out of ten. I don't know, but um, but they came on with with two sigma, and I think I, I think Goldman Sachs as well as as these cornerstone. Were you, were you trying for something like that, or were you were you kind of creating in a in a different way? I was more creating and I was more interested in the network and, and the ability to really get their advice and a feedback loop from those uh, investors and people who supported us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a tough process, right? I don't need just, uh, uh, you know, some people call it dumb money, uh, but I don't just need the money. I need someone who can actually support and advise and, uh, and get me going mm-hmm. uh, beginning to the end. Um, so that was kind of what we were looking for. Uh, very hard to find. <laughs> kind of growing lean. In a way, lean, lean. Yeah. It's very. It sounds like what you describe about the Israeli Air Force, really, of of kind of you know bootstraps, lift, lift, lifting yourself up type thing, and 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 growing in a in a in a um yeah kind of a scrappy way. Exactly. Um, I, but need to figure out what was alternative data, how to do marketing, how to do fundraising, uh, run a business, and accounting, and and all that mm. thing that <laughs> nobody really likes. Uh, but you have to do you don't have anyone to support you so you have to do it as a team you have to do it uh, on your own Uh, learn quick make mistakes a lot uh, fix them and move on for sure fantastic so how do you start hiring Um, you look for the people who first of all believe in in you and the team and vision and who have the experience that you're missing for example uh, one of our salespeople, uh, Josh who was in Goldman Sachs and uh knows the industry, knows people, uh, knows how to sell. Um, sorry, we Israelis are not as good as uh, Americans at uh, selling, uh, or at least me. 
uh, and we needed someone to support us who knows the industry who can develop and uh, uh, create a business development. Um, QA, uh, because we understood one of the things uh, in alternative data is that you have to make sure what you're doing is at least shown correctly. So we one of our first times was QA. Most startups don't do that. QA comes only after a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, had other hirings like data analysts, data scientists, um, people understand and have gaps of what I know. We can fill the gaps. Yeah. And so you're, you're bringing these people on board and you're trying to infuse them with a vision of what you're, what you're all moving towards. How were you, um, uh, how did this vision, um, where, where was the vision coming from? Do you feel like you were responsible for the vision? Was it the three of you um, at the top or every time someone came on board, were they adding to the vision? How was the vision developing? Uh, so it's really, I think, the mission of the founders to develop the vision. And that's kind of what we did. Uh, it was very, also very difficult because the market was changing rapidly at the time. You know, COVID, everything was changing. Uh, using alternative data completely changed at the time. What was relevant completely changed. Uh, the effects on the market. Uh, so we had to adapt as well and change from what we believed at first was the most relevant thing um, to what we actually needed to do. Uh, Perhaps you could talk about how, how you felt it changed. Definitely. So in the beginning, what we talked about was let's create a, a, an amazing AI machine with explainable AI, of course, that can explain the things um, and and open the markets to it. So they could literally engage with any different data set they come in and understand what is the most relevant data at each point in time. But we realized this needs much more capital. This is not necessarily what traditional uh, investors or someone who's firstly exposed to alternative data needs. Uh, so, the, so then we decided, okay, let's pivot a little bit and start with the visualizations of the of the of, of Lagoon. Let's start with explaining what is coming in from the data. So you can easily, with three clicks, get a sense of each company. We had about six thousand five hundred companies on the platform, fifty different data sets, and you can literally, with three four clicks. Get an insight for each company what was relevant for, but that was all mostly the visualizations, and then we'll apply the machine learning. Uh, so this immediately sounds to me like you've got a fundamental investor in mind. Would that be fair? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and is there anyone else? Is there any other way that you can be um, specific about who the investor you had in mind was? Yeah. So we're focused on hedge funds. Uh, you know, guys who don't yet have a data science team understand they need alternative data, but don't want to have the full resources to buy uh, you know, 50 different data sets. It costs a lot of money. Uh, you, you know it is. Um, and they don't have the resources to onboard it, to pre-process all the data, clean it, um, make it even relevant and tickerize it, map it to the right tickers, right? Uh, you need to do a lot of steps before you even start using the data to just make it relevant for your investments, for your tickers and portfolio. Uh, so we started by doing that. Uh, we build the infrastructure that could take almost any data set and uh, in about 30 minutes to one hour, implement it into our system in an automatic way. So credit card data, web traffic data, all this was really almost a plug and play into Lagoon. Wow, that sounds that sounds like quite an achievement. Um, that was my CEO. <laughs> <laughs> but you, um, and so you've created this, what was the, so um, so what was the business model? So the business model was very simple, SaaS. You come in, you buy the software, you choose whatever data set uh, you want to use, and you get a price based on that. This way, we first of all, we send it out. Uh, we, we do a revenue share with the data providers. So we don't cannibalize their business. They still get a share, but they open up a market which don't know yet how to use their data. Uh, who was, who was, so what, uh, you probably don't want to, Give it to be too specific, but um, were we the the revenue share? Was it um, who's doing the work in the job? You know, and uh, who's getting who's getting most of the revenue? Is it uh, in your in your vision? Was it the data provider who had the value, or or you're you're adding? I don't know. Are you adding kind of? Are you taking twenty percent or thirty percent or something of the of the of the of the picture? How much how much work did you think you were doing in the sale? 
Yeah, so it's a great question because I think for every different data vendors we had data vendor we had a different uh, set of revenue share uh, because mm-hmm. some of the data comes uh, you know really clean and nice and pretty and it's really, really easy to integrate, and some of it is very dirty. Some of it needs a lot of cleaning, a lot of pre-processing, a lot of structuring. There's no ticker mapping maybe uh, to this data set. So it really depends on the data and how much work we needed to do uh, in order to make it uh, available and relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we build, of course, the automations behind that that could do it very uh, easily for us. But it's a it's a really process. Uh, it's a process that could really help the data vendor as well. Because um, if you think about it, not not most of the data vendors have a way to show how to create insights and value from the data. So we wanted to do that for them as well. And so, uh, so was it a, was it a, did you, how did you find the process of speaking to data providers? Was it, was it, uh, it probably varied, but did you find it was an easy sell or a hard sell? Uh, at the beginning, it was very hard because we did not yet have a platform. We literally launched a platform in March of 22. So we started mm-hmm. developing this platform in about January of 21. So it took us a lot of time to really show that there is some value that we can actually implement uh, the data sets into into a platform and show this value. So in the beginning, it was very hard. Uh, we had, you know, we had some great guys that believed in us and uh, wanted uh, wanted to help us as well and onboard their data set. Uh, so I think the communication and network inside the industry, uh, you know, guys from like Revealio Labs, Ninety uh, West, ThinkNum, uh, even were very open to uh, to talk to us. And uh, it was a great process and I really enjoyed talking to them. They were very open about it. They know they can sell to the top, uh, but still need help to look at all the long tail of investors. It strikes me um, that I've I've kind of... so. I've I've known you for a long time, actually, and in, in, within this within this picture, um, I remember you uh, attending a. Um, I think when when we were doing clubhouse calls, and I remember <laughs> you you coming on them, and 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 so you've been and so you've been very much a person in the community. Did you feel um, that that was a uh, a great strength in terms of creating these these um, these relationships with the? Do you, did you feel that that got you? Um, some of the way with these providers that they already kind of knew you in an informal way, um, perhaps, and so that that got the conversation going, or or was it more just an information gathering exercise? Hundred percent. I think if you're not part of the community, and especially in alternative data, especially in finance, if you're not part of it, if you don't come to events, if you don't attend, if you don't talk to people, network, and people know you, it's it's almost impossible to uh, you know, to come in and, and and penetrate. Of course, if you're coming from Israel. If you're far away, um, you really need to be there, and you need to be there even if it's not like 100% relevant for you. Uh, and you need to help other people. Like if you have an idea, you can connect them uh, and and try to help them as best as you can. And it's a kind of a win-win mentality in the alternative data industry. It's not about, I think, um, competition. It's not like every data vendor competes against every data vendor. Um, because my vision was if we can collect all the data vendors into one place and really make useful uh, insights coming in from this data, then everybody will you know, be much smarter, much more uh, relevant. So it's less about competition. It's more about the network and connections inside the industry. It's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of, it's almost old fashioned in that there used to be particular, I'm, I'm a Londoner, so I'm very aware of the old kind of London communities, which I'm afraid were a lot of stale old, old white men um, with their, with their <laughs> gentlemen's clubs and things like that. But everyone knew everyone. And I mean, my father was in insurance and that was a great example of, of, of knowing everyone in that specific community. And, and, and so you were kind of a, you were, you were an insider or you were an outsider potentially. And I think it was quite hard to get in as an outsider and it's, Definitely. and it's, and it's interesting now, here we are in 2022, and it strikes me that we've created a new community, but it's just a much more diverse one, um, and it's much more uh, spread around. And so instead of being a, a group of stuffy men in suits in, in, in one city, it's now possible to, to, to access this um, by access to this community from anywhere really and 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 um and 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 be a part of it so it's it feels like a like a win i suppose for diversity doesn't it i agree but it still takes a very long time it took me a very long time to really uh come into the community and for people to accept me 
uh, as someone who actually knows any, something, who they can actually listen to and understand alternative data. It, it takes some time, and I think there's a lot of confidence and trust built into this process, and especially with data, because you're dealing with a lot of money in the end. And if you're making and basing your decision based on a specific data source or a variety of data sources, you need to really trust both the data and the people behind that. If they make a mistake, the data is a mistake, garbage in, garbage out, you need to make sure you don't have that. And that's something that I think is still very hard to penetrate. It takes uh, a long time. Um, still in our industry. And I think we're still stuffy old man. Just uh, with the Zoom, you don't see the belly. <laughs> uh what about dealing with 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 clients then how was that side how was how was um how was pitching how was how was managing to to um yeah how was how was the how was the client side how was the ghosting you you ask <laughs> um it, it's very interesting so at the beginning we we reached out to clients who were either friends who we know who are advisors investors and people we know know so kind of our network and even then you lose some of them Right? You still have people who just ghost you. You come into them and I ask them in the beginning for feedback. We didn't have anything. Like I literally burned some bridges in the beginning, but I needed the feedback. I needed the conversation, the 30 minutes of uh, a trend analyst telling us, this is what I need. This is what you guys need to do in order for me to buy the data, the system, the platform. And otherwise, uh, I, I just don't care. So, so the ghosting part of things is really... Um, it's really tricky, and but it tells you a lot about their needs, right? It, it's a it's a good feedback for you. It says you're not relevant yet. You need to do other things that uh, those guys mostly tell you in the conversation. Like when you talk to them, any hedge fund analyst investor is really open and tells you exactly what he needs. Uh, it's sometimes between the lines for you to understand what you need to do uh, in order for him to actually buy and get the uh, you know, to buy the product to buy the data. But they tell you, and when they ghost you, it means a lot. It means essentially that you haven't activated the kind of greed part of their brain, because exactly. ultimately these people are, are, you know, and I'm when I say these people, I'm, I don't know if I, I would just say people are, you know, time is time is limited, and so you need to prioritize essentially. And if and if you think that this thing could be a success and could be useful to you then you're more likely to give your time to it than if you if you think other things are going to be more successful or whatever so um so that's yeah so so it means that you've got more work to do essentially to convince them potentially exactly and and i had uh, tom del vecchio gave give me one of the best advices i i got was you have five minutes to convince them if you're relevant or if you're not mm. that's how much time they have to listen to you and if you're more than that and they don't want to buy, then it's not relevant. If they want to buy in the first five minutes, you'll see it. They'll ask you like straightforward, okay, what's the pricing? What do I need to do to get this? Uh, so it's about getting to those five minutes very prepared, very ready, and with an insight that could drive the nail into their specific analysis. So something they're missing, something that tricks their part of the greed, of the FOMO, that they're missing out on something. And that's where you really make a sell, which is... Uh, much more uh, fun, actually, uh, because they become your friends. They like you, and you know it, it's great. I, I really love talking to them. This is a world also where information is scarce, and actually every single um, hedge fund, if that's the clientele you're going for, is trying desperately to keep within keep secret really what's going on inside the hedge fund so actually um enter i always thought that gathering information as a potential client to hedge funds is a nightmare if you never worked inside one before because um how do you even begin to have the have the vocabulary you know and how do you even begin to to extract information from people who are massively motivated not to give information or did you find actually that people were more more um free with their with them you know free and willing to talk than than i'm i'm making out yeah so you have to really be interested in sounding stupid and I, i'm saying interested specifically because if you are not interested in not asking stupid questions then you might never get to the answer and people will talk and say things that you don't understand and you wouldn't learn so you burn the bridges in the beginning or you talk to your advisors and ask them later and you write what you need to learn and what you're missing. Uh, and there's a lot of things. Like if you're not an insider, if you haven't been to a hedge fund and you know head of data sourcing or a data strategy or data analyst, then there's a lot of gaps that from a data provider, you just don't know. 
and you have to learn. You have to want to learn uh, and to make stupid uh, mistakes. But it's a small world, this, that you're in. Like, you can't blow up that many meetings because because you'll lose credibility. I, it sounds like a... I mean, one one solution would be to use some of the money you you spent to hire an insider who could who could teach you in in like the vocab and how this world worked did you did you do that did you consider that so yeah the way i looked at it is uh kind of hiring advisors so i got really you know really top people uh, coming in from various uh, motions of the industry from pure quants to quantum mental folks to data scientists um, and in just investors, uh, portfolio managers to really help me out um, to be our advisors and guide me along the way. Um, I work with, uh, you know, my most useful, one of the most useful advisors I had was Evan Schnidman, who mm. started the same process as, uh, as I did, you know, started a company alternative data, but he was not from the industry and he was very successful. And he taught me a lot of the things that I was missing. Uh, so, Getting those guys to want and help and teach you uh, was one of the most useful things I, I've done from the beginning. I think um, every single name you've mentioned has been an episode on this podcast, which is, yeah. which is it's reassuring, but it's also worrying that I might at some point start running out of people. But, uh, but we'll see. But um, um, people are coming in. It becoming <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think, by the way, one of the things that is very interesting about the industry, you know, that is very different from two, three, four years ago. Right now, all the investors that are coming in, coming out of the top universities, they know Python. Mm. They know how to code. They know how to use data. Uh, some of the, most of the data vendors I talk to are participating in programs in the education system. Mm. So I think the market is also changing, and that's part of the reason uh, I think we, you know, in Lagoon was a very uh, hard process that the industry was completely changing. What was relevant two, three years ago is just not relevant now. Mm. Yeah. So you got to, I don't know. So that's, uh, you got to somehow be keeping up with it or being quick, I suppose, when you are upon arrival and, and, and nail it immediately, perhaps with, with big money behind you, or I don't know, but exactly. <laughs> let's, let's turn uh, to the, to the, um, to the, you know, let's, 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 let's take the story forward. So um, how has, so here we are in, in, um, in, in December, 2022, you, you, you launched the platform in March, 2022. How does, how does the, the nine months in between play out? Definitely. So it's, uh, it, it's very close to what happened to the markets themselves. Uh, just a drop, uh, it was very, uh, difficult time, uh, for, I think the, all the data vendors, because we had some funds trialing the platform, some funds that were committed to play pay as well. And they came to us in Q1, end of Q1, start of Q2, and told us, listen, guys, we're sorry, but uh, we're down 15%, we're down 20%. We can't mm -hmm. really buy new data or new platforms right now. So let's talk uh, Q3, Q4 of this year. And for a startup, a small startup that is, uh, you know, we're basing our projections, we're basing our strategy uh, on these things, uh, the market shift was a very tough time for us. Yeah, so we actually decided to pivot. We understood that our data, our platform is really relevant for private companies as well. And mm -hmm. back at the time, it was also, we saw a few customers come to us and tell us, can you do the same thing, but for private companies? We said, yeah, no problem. It was a very easy pivot in a way. We could keep the public market side of things. So we had a customer buying the public uh, and uh, a few more that uh, went into private markets. Uh, so we had to pivot. Um, so you didn't need to you didn't need to map to ticket tickers in the same way for for the for the public markets, but you could just you could just map it to a private company. It's no different, really. What you're doing is is just showing the um, uh, it's just showing what's going on with the company. Kind of you didn't need uh, did you need to be showing the kind of the KPIs and the and the revenues and things like that? What what did you need to map to for the private private market? Yeah, exactly. So you need to, first of all, understand that the private market is the private market you're talking, uh, the private market company you're talking about. Uh, so essentially, it's the same thing. You're building an external CEO dashboard of the company using various different data sources, which are in the end, you know, web traffic or web scraping data or app data, employees data. It's all available online. You all, you all get this for private and public companies. And we mapped it also with uh, uh, private company data as well, financials that were, of course, estimates and not 
the actual uh, numbers, but they were still pretty straightforward. Um, so it was still relevant what we built. Mm. And so did the so did the and so when when did that happen? When did that pivot happen? So that pivot happened around April May of twenty two. Um, but then again, what we needed was also to raise funding. So at this time, pivoting, and we we switched uh, our product, our customer base. We had to kind of change the strategy as well, of course. Um, we, we did it, and it worked uh, great, but we also had to fundraise. Unfortunately, fundraising at this point in time was also very, uh, let's say, hectic. Um, it was also a very hard time. Um, so um, around the end of Q3, uh, we had to make a decision. Either we're, we can continue to play without uh, any budget, or we need to do something else about it. And I think it's a, it's a very, one of the most uh, difficult decisions uh, I had in, in my life. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's a, I build a baby. I work yeah. so hard at night times, and you need to decide, can I continue to build this with the resources that I have, or what do I need in order to make this successful? And if I can't make this successful, what do I do uh, for my investors, for my shareholders holders that could make them at least uh, successful as much as I can? And your employees? How how, how many how many um, how big was the company at that point? We were uh, uh, nine people at the time. Nine people. Yeah. And was there were you putting a, a positive face on it in internally, or was was there kind of good understanding through the company throughout that these are you know these are challenging times? Yeah, so I had to put the the, fa- the happy face on myself as well. Like you need to wake up and understand that okay, this is uh, you, you need to do whatever you can and be positive about it. And because if you're neg- negative, then everybody sees that and it's uh, unsuccessful from the get go. So you you have to stay with the positive attitude that you can make this work, that you'll do whatever it takes, and you're trying to do whatever it takes. Um, you know, really fighting. I stayed up like. I don't know, 18 hours a, a day work. You know, my wife didn't see me back at the time and I just had the baby. Uh, so <laughs> it was a tough time in the family as well, but uh, she understood that and she was very supportive. And by the way, you have to have this kind of support from your family, wife and friends, and because otherwise you just, you can't succeed in a startup. Uh, so I tried to stay positive, but I was also trying to stay uh, truthful to my uh, employees, colleagues and tell them, listen guys, we're doing our best. We see we have a, lot, a few options, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure. It's, uh, it's, mm. it's, it's a, a tough very time. environment, tough time. Mm. Um, so I can't promise anything, but I'll, I am doing my best. And this is something I do promise you. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that sounds, I mean, you know, the best way to, best way to approach it. But, um, and, yeah. so, and so then, um, then the time came um, that the decision had to be made. Um, and what's the, well, actually, well, first of all, what's the, um, what's the, there, there are potential, uh, developments for Lagoon. How's, what's the, how is, talk through the, the process of, uh, saying, okay, Lagoon in its current form can't work. And, and I don't know how much you can talk about the potential features of Lagoon as well. So talk about what you can. Right. So, um, still trying to find a good home. Uh, for Lagoon, we have a couple of potential um, acquirers who want the technology, who want what we built. Uh, guys coming in from a pension fund, actually, a hedge fund, and uh, and a data company that wants mm-hmm. to leverage our capabilities and what we've built. As kind um, of a front end. Exactly. As a front end and a back end. Because the, the main infrastructure that, again, my CTO, she's, she's the genius behind that, built is the easiness to apply what we build to any type of data. We had credit card, we had web scraping, we had sentiment, we had uh, web traffic and app data and geolocation data on our platform, um, financials, of course, and all that we're talking in the same language. So that's a very um, difficult or uh, long-term infrastructure that you need to build uh, in order to make this work. And most people just want to have this. So you've what? Yeah. So you've created a technology which, as you say, if you were a fund and you just wanted a tool which your fundamental investors could just fairly, fairly easily, uh, well, um, uh, on a relative basis, uh, uh, bring bring data in and explore it, um, then you know it could be it could be a it could be a great asset to, to have to have in house, particularly if if you own it 
and it's not it's not there on the on the market for everyone else um and 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 as a showcase for your data if you're a data provider then then you can see that as well as being a visualization tool which is a lot of what what data providers want so um so i can see that so you are you're essentially it's it's you're you're in the market um looking for a potential potential buyer for lagoon right uh not for a long time but yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Going, uh, going. Uh, everything must go sale. Um, well, but, we, um, we do, no, we just have someone who's very interested, uh, hoping. To... Oh, I see, I see. Okay, okay, lovely. So, if so, if anybody listening to this sounds like that could be of interest to them, then they should um, they should get in touch with you rapidly in order to in order to understand the opportunity. Yeah, definitely, now's the time if you want to get insights from alternative data quickly. <laughs> okay, okay, um, okay, brilliant. So, um, so and and so that's Lagoon. Um, do you think any people would come with it as well, or or is it literally the technology which would be which would be for sale? It's the technology, and of course, me and the CTO will help out in this process and transition. Um, but uh, yeah. So, so Lagoon employees have 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 made other have have are clear to make other arrangements. At yep, this stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Some of them already found some really great companies. Uh, we had one uh, no, full stack developer who you know, she got shut again. Most of our R and D, by the way, were uh, uh, female, so it was uh, actually great. They're much smarter than us uh, men, um, and you know she found a great job because she learned so much in, in this endeavor. Like she learned back end and front end mm. and data and uh, you know, visualizations and uh, this is skills that a lot of people and a lot of companies need. I can imagine. I can imagine absolutely for sure. Um, and 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 what about you, uh, Omri? What's your what's your next step? Uh, yeah, so that's a great uh, way to announce it. Uh, but uh, started working in SimilarWeb. Uh, I think SimilarWeb has one of the most amazing data sets in the market. And one of the best in coverage, depth, and uh, and breadth as well, uh, covering so many companies, so many insights that could be created from this data, and it's still in you know in infancy. It could be much much bigger than what it is right now, and uh, and I really uh, you know enjoyed working uh, in Lagoon, but I think also um, part of the reason that I, I really like moving forward uh, to similar web is is the data. Is the ability to really learn and focus on a specific data set that has so much value. Fantastic! You've joined the uh, the alternative data unicorn, and really, probably the only the only true one. I feel, unless I've missed one. Um, but you know, there there are some which have a claim. But um, but yeah, so so you know, huge, huge move. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Um, very exciting. So I'll finish with um, just by asking if you've got any any kind of uh, major, big, deep thoughts of, of what you've learned from the whole, you know, you've created a, you've, you've taken a, a, a an alternative data company through the whole life cycle. I wonder if you've got any big takeaways from that process. You've, 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 you've had a lot of experience. You've had, you know, highs and lows. You've, you've had sleepless nights. You've, you've done an awful lot. Um, have you, have you had the chance yet to, to go away and think about it and think about um, things you did well, things you might have done differently, kind of big, big, deep takeaways? Uh, definitely. And I'll start with, uh, I think what was most important for me, and I'm uh, happy to kind of pay it forward, uh, mm. is anyone who wants to speak, think, um, talk about uh, their process in alternative data, happy to be kind of the, uh, a year and uh, listen, talk, and think about things with you. I think that was one of the main lessons and takeaway, uh, takeaways I had from, from Lagoon and still is relevant is the network, the connections, the people uh, you're working with and the people you connect with uh, is one of the most important things in life. It's relevant for business in the short term, but it's also relevant for business in the long term and for yourself and your happiness and, uh, and your life. And I think this is you know, my biggest t- key takeaway. And the other thing, which is maybe more related to alternative data specifically, is how do you create the value or the insights coming in from the data? If you just have a data set, this is not interesting. Nobody likes just a data set unless they can see and create value from it. So you need to make sure you have the confidence, the trust in the data and the way it's collected, the breadth and and the depth of the data itself, and then show how you can create the value. 
And this is what we were trying to create in Lagoon. I think this is still relevant for any data vendor, any data provider, and also for buyers to ask data providers, listen, what is the value? How do you find it? How do you create it? Tell us. Uh, and once you do that, it's much easier process. Hmm. I, there's a um, there's a Dalai Lama thing, which is that an experience essentially is an awful lot. Um, it's a choice to an extent about how you think about an experience as to whether it's a positive or a negative experience for you. Um, and it sounds to me like you have spoken fluently and fluidly about about Lagoon. It's it, it doesn't sound like a like a scar. It sounds to me like you've managed to see it as a great learning process and a and a and a and a step along a much longer path, which has created a lot of a lot of positivity in general. Would that be would that be fair? Definitely. I think that's my way of life. You you have to think of things even if they're not as successful as you thought or um, not exactly as you thought in the beginning and change dramatically. Uh, it's a way to learn, to process and to um, move forward with much more experience. Uh, many more people you know. And I'm super thankful for all my advisors and investors and friends and connections Um you know, many of the people you've talked to in your uh, in the podcast before, I've spoken to as well, and they were so engaging, and mm-hmm. it was so powerful to listen to them, uh, which uh, I think this is you know one of the best things in life. It's all about collaboration. It's not mm-hmm. fighting each other; it's about collaborating. Fantastic. Well, Omri, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I, uh, as I said, it was a it was a thing I haven't had on the podcast before, and it's been a very interesting conversation for me. So, um, so thank you, thank you so much for coming and being open and 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 sharing. And hopefully, it'll be useful for for people listening. And um, and I've got no doubt that um, the next steps in your in your career will be will be uh, as engaging and and will be will be as as positive. Thank you very much. Same here, and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, hope uh, to see you soon in Paris. <laughs> Hope so.